this week on Hope for the Broken. We can confess Jesus as Lord, but him not be the God in our life. How do you know if you are pursuing a God other than the Lord God? What is first priority in your life? Because whatever occupies first priority in your life is the God that you worship. It is possible to confess Jesus as Lord, but actually have another God in his place in our life. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Back to the Basics. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part six titled, The Lordship of Christ. Let me invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. We are continuing our sermon series entitled Back to the Basics, and we're taking a look at foundational ordinances of the church, foundational beliefs of the church, just foundational things of Christianity and what we are to believe. Today we come to the subject of what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? Have you ever wondered that? What does it fully mean to call Jesus Lord? Well, it's an extremely important question, and I hope today to answer that very question. Do you know how you can instantly know that you're getting old? Hang out with teenagers, and you will instantly know how old you are getting. Uh, By the end of this month, we'll have four teenagers in our household, and we are loving life, but I am realizing a reoccurring theme. I am getting old and outdated, right? I'm becoming more and more outdated as the years go by. And one of the ways that you could find out that you're outdated is just listen to vocabulary. You know, every generation has a different set of words that they use. And you will get a funny look when you use a word from your day, right, around teenagers, and they'll look at you like, what did you just say? I have no earthly idea. I understood the English word that was coming out of your mouth, but I have no earthly idea what you just meant. Well, I compiled a list uh, this week of words that will immediately date you. Okay, you ready for that list? If you still use the term Rolodex, you, my friend, are outdated, all right? The teenagers don't even know how to laugh at that, right? A Rolodex was a card that you would write an address or phone number on and you would roll through the alphabet, uh, Rolodex. Icebox, if you refer to your refrigerator as an icebox, that went out in the early 1900s, okay? Uh, it is a refrigerator or fridge. Uh, if you still refer to the internet as the World Wide Web, all right? Nobody does that anymore, right? You don't even have to type in www before an, a web address. I know some of your minds just went, oh, you don't have to do that. No, no, it doesn't exist anymore. Videotape, right? First of all, DVDs are gone. Everybody streams now, right? And so videotape is obsolete. If you use the terms rad and gnarly, Teenagers don't know what you mean, right? They have no earthly idea what that is about. All these words are foreign to younger generations. But there are words in the scriptures that seem to be foreign to us. 
We may know the word, we may even know the definition of the word, but that doesn't mean that we fully understand and wrap our minds around what that word means. And in the United States, we don't live in a monarchy. So the term Lord is really and truly foreign to us. Sure, we can read books that refer to the setting of a monarchy or we can watch movies and we hear people say phrases like, yes, my Lord, or we even hear people call other people titles like Lord, right? But what does it really mean? We don't live in a society where we fully understand what that word means and all that it implies. Now, this is a big deal when it comes to Jesus because we'll often hear preachers say what? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life, right? Well, if we don't fully understand what it means to call Jesus Lord, then how do we know that we have done that? And the answer to that question has eternal implications. Or we'll hear the word Lord in reference to Jesus. What does it mean? What are the scriptures referring to? And we're in a world of hurt and understanding the scriptures if we don't understand the tenets of what it means to call Jesus Lord. Did you know the term Lord is used 747 times in the pages of the New Testament alone? That's a lot of references and a lot of uses of the word Lord. Sometimes it's used as a term of respect or affection. 150 of those instances in the New Testament are a reference to God himself. It is used to describe Jesus 250 times. So the question, what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? That is presented to us in our text, in our passage of study, and we'll attempt to clarify what it means to call Jesus Lord, this vitally important question. So let's read uh, together Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10, and I want to read the entirety of the passage. You follow along in your copy of God's Word, and then we will unpack it together. Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, what? The Lord. So walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority Now, not only does this passage proclaim and pronounce Jesus as Lord, but did you know that's the theme of the entire Bible? When you look at the Old Testament scriptures, it's all building and pointing to a specific person, the Messiah. And in the pages of the New Testament, it's all pointing to a specific person, Jesus being that Messiah. And so all throughout the scriptures, there is a central theme, and it is Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord, but what does it mean to call him that? Three things I want to talk to you guys about today on what it means to call Jesus Lord. First, it means that we give him our devotion. To call Jesus Lord means that we are devoted to him. In what ways are we to be devoted to Jesus? Well, Paul identifies three things of what it means to be devoted to Jesus. What are those three things? First is to be rooted. If you're going to be devoted, you must be rooted. Verse 6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, verse 7, rooted. 
When we come to faith in Jesus, we have responded to the tenets of the gospel. What are the tenets of the gospel? It is that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have sinned. I have sinned. The word sin is a short little word that means to miss the mark of God's perfection. We have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But to recognize that God still loved us even though we have fallen short, that he gave his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him and the finished work of the cross will be saved and will have eternal life. And scripture says that we are saved. We come to uh, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when we admit that we are a sinner. We believe that Jesus died in our place and was raised on the third day and we confess him as our savior and our Lord. That is salvation. And Paul is saying that when we, by God's grace, through the vehicle of faith, embrace that truth, we are then rooted, planted in Christ. Now, how many of you are grammar nerds in the room? Like, you like grammar? Anybody in the room? Okay, a few of you? Okay, good. We're together, right? Just the few, the proud. All right, and so there's something interesting that's going on in the grammar when Paul says rooted, that term rooted. It is in the perfect tense. And what that means is this. It is a continual state because of a past event. In other words, it's already been completed. And this is interesting because Paul is saying that we are to be rooted in Christ. Well, how are we rooted? When we, by faith, have received him as the Lord of our lives. We've trusted in Jesus. We then are rooted. And that rooting is something that is a continual action based upon a past event. That past event is our yielding, our bowing the knee to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And therefore, what that is teaching is once you have come to faith in Christ, you are forever his for all of eternity. Did you know that eternity doesn't begin when you leave this earth? Eternity begins for the believer when they bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. From that moment on, you are marked as a permanent resident of heaven. Let me illustrate it to you like this. I have had the privilege, and I'm sure many of you have too, uh, of being a part of adoption uh, hearings in court. How many of you guys have ever been to an adoption hearing, right? It's a powerful thing. I mean, it really is a powerful thing. The judge considers the case before them, and the judge then takes action. And when the gavel falls, that child becomes a permanent fixture of that particular family. And you know what else is interesting about that? It's an action that can't be undone. And did you know Scripture uses the picture of adoption to paint for us what happens when we come to faith in him? Scripture says that we have been adopted. We are heirs with Christ. You have been grafted into God's forever family, which is a forever thing, not based upon anything that you and I do, but based upon an event that's already taken place, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, right? And so this is a powerful teaching. If we're going to be devoted to him, then we need to understand we are rooted in him. We are planted in Christ, so therefore we are to walk in him. The second way we express our devotion is by being built up. We are built up. Verse 7 continues. It says that we are rooted and built up in him. And that word, built up, is a present active participle. 
It means that you are constantly being built up. We are a work in progress. And when we come to faith in Jesus, we are not what we will be, and we will never be what we can be in Christ. But it is a process to join in the sanctifying work of the Lord Jesus in our lives. You know one of the things that drives me crazy? Is driving down Highway 49. All the construction, right? It is terrible. Can I get an amen on that, right? If you have been on that. It's just terrible. But you know what I say to myself to help me stay sane whenever I'm in that traffic? Is I say this, one day it will be nice. When it's all done, one day it will be nice. Why? Because it's a work in progress. Well, did you know you are a work in progress? And maybe, just maybe, some of y'all will be nice at the end of that process, right? Me too, right? But we understand that we are a work in process. It's a continual work. This is what it means to call Jesus Lord, to submit to that work of sanctification. The third identifier that Jesus says in being devoted to him is to be grateful. Gratefulness. Again, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. To be devoted to Jesus is to be grateful for his work in our lives. Listen, God's action in our lives God's rescue of our souls from sin, death, and the grave should evoke in us an abounding thankfulness, an abounding sense of gratitude. You know, the things that we are grateful for, we remain devoted to. Have you ever been grateful for your job? Maybe not now, but maybe there was a time in which you were grateful for your job. And what did you do in that gratefulness? You remained committed to that job. It's the same thing. When we are grateful for all that God has done on your behalf and on mine, we express it in a, in a, in a, in a way of being devoted to him. We are grateful in it, and we are committed to him. Now, let's talk practical for a second. I think we could all agree that to call Jesus the Lord of our lives means that we are uh, devoted to him, that we are sold out for Jesus, right? But what does that look like practically? Well, I think Paul answers that in verse 8. Talks about practical ways that we can be devoted to Jesus. Let's read it together. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In other words, if we are going to be devoted to Jesus, it means we only have eyes for Jesus. We are solely locked in to him and nothing else. We are not distracted by other things. Things like empty philosophies, Paul says, human traditions, and worldly ideologies, elemental spirits of the world. Now, I want to be clear. When we read the word philosophy, a lot of times we think of a class in college, right? Like you take a philosophy class, or when I was in seminary, we took a philosophy of religion class, right? And so we think of it as in terms of education. Uh, Hear me out. It is not wrong to pursue education. In fact, I think it's a very godly pursuit. Remember what, what Jared shared with us that informed that song, right? That we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strengths. One of the greatest ways that you can love the Lord your God with your mind is by being educated, pursuing education 
and pursuing a biblical view of education. But the term philosophy was a general term in Paul's day. And it essentially meant a worldview. You know what worldview is, right? Everybody has a worldview, a lens by which they see the events and the ongoings of the world. And it is possible to have a non-biblical worldview. It is possible to have a biblical worldview, but many people have a non-biblical worldview. To have a biblical worldview means that we see the things and the events of the world through the lens of God's holy words. And that what Paul is saying is this, don't be drawn by non-biblical worldviews. Don't be uh, pulled. Take, make sure that no one takes you captive by these empty worldviews. And then he goes on and he says, uh, human tradition. And there's nothing wrong with human tradition. We have traditions within our families and those are a very good thing. But what Paul is talking about when he says human traditions, he's talking about the idea of a man-made religious tradition. You know, that was big in Paul's day. We do things in order to earn God's favor, or we do things because it's what my priest said to do, or what my pastor said to do. And we're pursuing empty, human, man-made, religious traditions. And then he says, make sure no one takes you captive by the elemental spirits of the world. This is uh, ideas, uh, world thought that stands in opposition to the scriptures. These are the things that seek to steal our attention away, steal our devotion away from Jesus. But this is where a follower of Jesus and a cultural Christian part ways. You ever heard that term, cultural Christian? This is a group of people that love Jesus. They like everything about Jesus. They just don't ascribe to everything that he teaches. They take the things that they like about Jesus, the things that they like about the scriptures, and they hold on to those, and then they dismiss the things that they don't like about Jesus and the things that they don't like about the scriptures. That is a cultural Christian. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. If you are going to call Jesus Lord, it means you're not distracted by the things of this culture. You are locked in, laser-focused upon Jesus, and he is your Lord. We pledge loyalty to Jesus above everything else. So let me give you a measurement tool, a, a question that can help diagnose how you're doing in your devotion to Jesus. Question is, where have you allowed distractions to take your eyes off of Jesus? Where have I allowed distractions to divert my eyes from Jesus onto that thing? In what ways am I allowing empty philosophies, religious tradition, and worldly ideologies to shape me? Right? If we're going to call Jesus Lord, we must have a devotion to him so deeply that he is our one and only focus. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord. Number two, what it means to call Jesus Lord is to recognize his deity. We recognize his deity. Look again at verse 9 of Colossians chapter 2 as we understand this point. It says, for in him, who is him? It's Jesus. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is God. 
Now, in the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words for the word Lord. One of them is in a personal, in, in substitute of a personal name of God. God's personal name, Yahweh. That name was considered to be so holy that it couldn't even be spoken out of your mouth. That somehow to speak the name Yahweh was to taint the holiness and the grandeur of Almighty God. And so what the Jews would do is instead of reading it out loud, when they would come to the word Yahweh, they would replace it instead with the word Lord. When you read your Bible and you come across the word Lord in all caps, it's that word Yahweh, Almighty God. Right? Have you ever wondered, why is this Lord in all caps and some Lords are not in all caps? That's because that's in reference to that word Yahweh. The other term translated as Lord in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word Adonai. It's best translated as master or owner. So when you see the word Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it's the word Adonai, master. So you have a designation for Almighty God, Lord in all caps, and you have a designation of master, owner, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. Now this is important because in the New Testament, both of those words are used in exchange for Jesus. Meaning Jesus is Yahweh and Jesus is master. He is both of those things. So if we're going to call Jesus Lord, it means that we recognize that he is not like God. He is not a God. Jesus is God. It's extremely important because there are other traditions that would not call him that or ascribe that to him but it is true of him at christmas time we hear the name emmanuel right with us you know what that word emmanuel means it means god with us and the word emmanuel is spoken in reference to jesus jesus is god with us jesus is god with flesh he is 100 god 100 man and one totality of one human being right he is God. He's not like God. He is God. And so Paul says the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus. To call Jesus Lord is to call him both God and master. Now, if we understand what it means to call Jesus Lord or God, it has profound implications in our life. In the pages of the, of the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment is what? To have no other gods before the Lord God. So therefore, it is possible for us to have a God, lowercase g, before the Lord God, Almighty God, capital G. And it is true for us. We can confess Jesus as Lord, but him not be the God in our life. How do you know if you are pursuing a God other than the Lord God? What is first priority in your life? Because whatever occupies first priority in your life is the God that you worship. It's the God that I worship. It is possible to confess Jesus as Lord, but actually have another God in his place in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he said it this way, no one can serve two masters. There's the word Lord. No one can serve two lords. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. Money here not being evil, you see, but the priority that it can take before God. And the truth is, you can insert whatever priority in the place of God or the place of money there. For example, we could say this, you cannot serve both God and your kids. You cannot serve both God and your career. You cannot love both God and our reputation above God. You cannot serve God and your goals. So what this means practically is this. If I'm going to truly call Jesus the Lord of my life, I can have goals, and I ought to have goals in my life, but they ought to be informed by the Lord God himself, right? You see the difference. We can get our priorities all out of whack. And whenever we get our priorities out of whack, then we are following, we are pursuing a different God. So what's the measurement tool to this point, to calling Jesus God? Well, is your relationship with Jesus your first priority? Is your relationship, is my relationship with Jesus first and foremost? Whatever's in that place, whatever is first and foremost, is the God of our lives. So we've established that calling Jesus Lord means to be devoted to him, to recognize his deity. Thirdly, calling Jesus Lord means to surrender to his authority. To surrender to his authority. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, and you have been filled in him, again referencing Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. The short phrase, Jesus is Lord, is a declaration that means that Jesus has authority. In the Great Commission, the very thing in which we get the mission of our church from, the Great Commission, the thing that Jesus shared with his disciples before ascending into heaven, before he says it, he gives a qualifier before he issues this Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to Jesus. Think about that for just a moment. All authority. So to call Jesus Lord, it means that we not only recognize uh, that he is God, but that he has authority in our lives. In other words, we allow him to be the boss of our life, the master, the ruler of our lives. We abdicate the throne of our own hearts and we yield that throne to Jesus. He guides, he directs, he leads. And here's the truth of the matter. This is extremely difficult for you and me. If I'm just transparent with you, I understand this, I see it in the scriptures, I say yes and amen to it, but I struggle with this aspect of of Jesus being Lord of my life. You know why I think we struggle with it? Because we compartmentalize our lives. We say, hey, here's my family life. Here's my career life. Here's my financial life. Here's my calendar life. And we compartmentalize these things. And as Christians, we say, yeah, we're supposed to say that Jesus is Lord. And so we'll give Jesus certain categories of our lives while holding on to others. This is not recognizing all authority uh, of, of Jesus in, in our lives. Here's some things that, that I've said 
before in my heart. Here, Jesus, take my heart, but don't touch my career. Jesus, please have my struggles. I got my finances. Lord Jesus, please take charge of my health. I need a miracle, but I got my calendar taken care of. You see the tension that we walk in, right? There's certain aspects of our lives that we're willing to give to Jesus, but others it's so hard to let him control. But if we're going to call Jesus Lord, it means that we say this, Jesus, here's my life, all of it. Take it, every bit of it. Take it and lead me in each and every area. We are to give it to Jesus. Have you given him authority? All authority under heaven and earth belongs to him. Have you given him authority? The truth is Jesus is ruling and reigning from heaven, but that doesn't mean that he's ruling and reigning my heart. He gives me the opportunity to yield that to him. When we are in Christ, beloved, we are under new management. We are no longer our own. We allow Jesus to call the shots in our lives. There are two verses of Scripture that haunt me. The first one is Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who sent me. That's frightening, isn't it? You know what another one is frightening? Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not, do not do what I tell you? To call Jesus Lord is to uh, be willing to yield our lives to him. You know, one thing that I've learned in my adult life is this, is that we always have an authority in our life. There is always an authority that speaks loudest to us in our lives. When we are kids, it is our parents, it's our teachers, it's our coaches, and rightfully so. But when we become adults, it could be our spouses, it could be other groups that we want to belong to, it could be a professor, it could be a, a set of ideologies that become our authority, it can even be our, we could even be our own authority. I do what I do because I want to do it because it feels right. That's becoming the authority of your own life. But, but here's the deal. Listen, hear me. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. We don't make Jesus Lord. He's not running for office, you see. He is Lord. And the, the question isn't, is Jesus Lord? The question is, is how has we allowed him to be the Lord of our lives? And this is a very serious question. This is a profound question in our lives. Because one day, whether on this earth or in glory, you will confess Jesus as Lord. I will confess Jesus as Lord. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says this, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As the great preacher Adrian Rogers once said, if you don't confess it in this world, 
you will confess it in the next. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.